Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Adam McCronin, and today we're discussing Stoicism and Epicureanism, two moral frameworks for how to live a good life. There's so much going on in the world right now, and how do we even start to address the major challenges that we're going to have to face in the next five to 10 to 100 years? Really, it comes down to what your mental framework is for how to make decisions. What are the ethics that drive what you do in life day to day and year over year? And two of the most valuable are ancient Greek philosophies that are thousands of years old. That is Epicureanism and Stoicism. So I want to lay out the framework for each of these philosophies. And as we go through it, you might want to think about which of these philosophies most closely resonates for you and what insights might you want to integrate into your own life. Let's get into it. One of the best ways to understand these philosophies is to understand what each philosophy is striving toward, what the end goal is for each philosophy. And for Epicureanism, it's this word called ataraxia, which literally means freedom from anxiety. This is total tranquility, peace of mind, living in the present. I mean, think about looking at a sunset over the ocean and not feeling any guilt, not feeling any nagging tasks that you have to complete, just being totally at peace with yourself in the present. That's the state of mind that Epicureans are striving toward. For Stoics, it's a different end state. It is the end state of eudaimonia, which literally means good spirit or being in harmony with nature. And part of that is human flourishing, always becoming a better version of yourself, always doing a better job for whatever it is that you do in society so that you're creating a better future for our descendants and for other people and other beings in the world. Another useful way to understand these philosophies is to look at the archetypes for each type of philosopher. So when I think of an Epicurean, I think of an intellectual hippie, someone like Alan Watts who enjoys spending time in a garden, reading books, having good wine, good conversations with friends, enjoys pleasure, all the pleasures that life has to offer, but also knows how to distinguish between higher pleasures and lower pleasures. And an archetype for Stoic philosophy would be someone like Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius was considered the last of the five good emperors of Rome. And he also was named the philosopher king because everything he did was within this Stoic framework. And he dealt with tremendous hardships during his time. This is towards the end of the Roman Empire when there were barbarian hordes uh, at the gates of Rome. There was plague he had to deal with. People were constantly trying to assassinate the top officials of the Roman Empire. His wife died. So this is someone who, despite all of his hardships, he never let emotions overtake him. And he never neglected his duties. Even in the darkest of times, he would get up early. He would do what he needed to do for the good of the empire. And that created tremendous ripple effects of good. You can probably already see that these are two different ways of living. The Epicurean way of living is more secluded. You're less focused on changing the world and you're more focused on enjoying reality while it lasts. So you might spend time in a garden, you might read books, you focus on having pure friendships, which Uh, Epicure is considered to be the purest type of relationship because there's no ulterior motives. You don't want something from them. They don't want something from you. You just purely enjoy each other's company. And there's a quote from Cicero that I think about often where he says, if you have a garden in your library, 
we will want for nothing, which basically means all you need to live a good life in the Epicurean view is a garden, you know, some nature, some good books, some friends, maybe some wine, and that's really all you need. You can live a wonderful life just with those simple pleasures. The Stoic way of life, by contrast, is about what you do externally and how you affect the rest of society. So it's all about fulfilling your role in accordance with nature. So it is about human flourishing, but not at the expense of all other beings on earth. It's really about doing what is best and that means fulfilling whatever your role is in society. So if you are the type of person that's drawn to becoming a lawyer, you should try to be the best lawyer you possibly can and really uphold the law and your sense of justice rather than what is most beneficial to you personally and what will give you more power. Same thing if you are an emperor, if you're a craftsman, if you're a soldier, whatever your role in society is, it's your duty to fulfill that role to the best of your ability. And you should have moral courage. You should be willing to stand up for your beliefs, uh, even if that means sacrificing yourself or your own life or your own happiness. And there's a quote here that I really love from Marcus Aurelius, where he says, let virtue lead the way, then every step will be safe. So you can think of this stoic way of life as really a virtuous way of life. Think about what the quintessential virtuous man would do. So for you, you might think, what would Jesus do? What would the Buddha do? What would Marcus Aurelius do? And if you can live your life in that way, you won't have any guilt. You won't have any sense of regret or that you didn't fulfill what you needed to fulfill in the time you have on this earth. And that can be an incredibly fulfilling life. And it does tend to be a more public facing life than the Epicurean worldview. Now I want to get into some thought experiments that will provide philosophical arguments for Epicureanism and for Stoicism, and you can reflect on which arguments are most compelling to you. So let's start with Epicureanism. The part of Epicureanism that really resonates with me is the notion that someone at some point has got to do the actual living. And this notion often comes up when you think about how so many people are living their lives just to create a better future down the road. So you might, you know, everyone's heard stories of, oh, my grandfather worked in this really awful mine and he worked so hard every day just so he could create a better life for his kids. And I think a lot of people live this way where they're not really enjoying their own life. They're seeing their own life as sort of a means to an end. So they might be suffering and miserable every day, but they think, well, I, you know, I'm fulfilling my role in society. But this is a little bit of a trap because eventually we will experience the heat death of the universe, which means it really is all about the journey. At some point, everything will come to an end. So even if we do everything we could possibly want to do, we colonize the stars, we extend longevity, we create be benevolent, superintelligent AI. Even if we did everything we could possibly want to do, eventually it will all come to an end. So that is a little bit of a crack in the progress as being the most important goal framework of Stoicism. And there is a lot of truth in the fact that hey, you should enjoy life while you're living it. You shouldn't always be kicking the can down the road. And imagine, as another thought experiment, if everyone who was well off 
donated all of their extra wealth, all of their extra belongings, even all of their extra time to those less fortunate, eventually everyone would be at the exact same economic level. And that's not the end of what matters. At that point, that's really only the beginning. People then still need to find what's compelling for them and what makes life worth living. So in that sense, it really is most important that you enjoy your life, you enjoy the time you have here on earth, you do what makes you happy, and you're not always living someone else's life or doing what someone else thinks you should do. Time is precious, life is precious, and you should live life in accordance with what makes you happy. That's the philosophy of Epicureanism. Another argument for Epicureanism that really resonates with me is this notion of the coincidence of opposites. And Alan Watts talks about this, which is that you cannot have good without evil. You cannot have up without down. These only exist in stereo contrast with one another. If everyone was good, then there would be the word good would be totally meaningless because everyone just behaves the same way. So once you understand that you need both the good and the bad, you need up and the down, you need male and female, you need all of these supposed opposites to exist together in order to have the type of life that is so interesting that we're living now, once you realize that, it becomes total folly to try to make everything that's down up or everything that's evil good. And Alan Watts talks about how people fall into this trap that white must win. You know, the good guys on the chess must beat the bad guys of the chessboard. And, you know, if that's compelling to you and you get real enjoyment out of being on the side of the fight for good, then I think that's totally reasonable way to live your life. But if you ever get tired of playing that game, that white must win, and we must turn everything that's evil good and everything that's down up, you don't have to keep playing that game anymore. You can simply enjoy your life and enjoy all of these opposites and realize that it's only because we have all of these variations of emotional states and possible outcomes and the endless variegated enchantments of life that makes it so interesting and so fulfilling. Now let's consider some philosophical arguments for Stoicism. The one that's most compelling to me is that Stoicism may be more noble than Epicureanism because it's not all about your own happiness. It's about what's good for the collective. It's about the ripple effects of everything that you do and the actions that you take that create a better society, a better world, and more human flourishing. So I like to think of this as similar to the distinction in Buddhism between the Bodhisattva, which is a Buddha that's in the world, and a Pratyaka Buddha which is a private Buddha that's living in a cave. It used to be the case that Buddhists considered the Pratyaka Buddha, the private Buddha that was meditating in a cave for 50 years, eating only one banana a day. This used to be considered the more enlightened and higher state of Buddhahood. Fully enlightened, doesn't need anything else in the world, totally conquered all of the desires. However, over time, the Buddhists came to actually value bodhisattvas as being an even higher state than the Pratyaka Buddha, because bodhisattvas are in the world, and because they're in the world, they're having a greater effect on everyone else. They're not just enjoying their enlightenment alone in a cave, they're actually out there. It might be your local baker, it might be the kid on the, on the street corner, it might even be a prostitute or some of the 
what are considered the lowest rungs of society. But whatever their role in society may be, they are in that state of enlightenment and that shows the way to others. So I, I think that this is the right approach. It, it is somehow more noble to be a Buddha that's in the world. Someone like Marcus Aurelius, who's actually making decisions for the lives of hundreds of thousands of Romans, rather than if Marcus Aurelius just went off into some cave or had a nice garden and a library and totally neglected his duties. So in that sense, Stoicism does have a little bit more nobility than Epicureanism. Now let's consider some strategies for how to actually live the good life day to day with the Epicurean lens and the Stoic lens. Let's start with Epicureanism. One of the biggest takeaways from the Epicurean philosophy is the importance of spending quality time with friends. And this really resonates when you look at what people actually regret on their deathbed. One of the biggest regrets people have is, I didn't spend enough time with my friends, I didn't keep up my close relationships, and people never regret that they didn't spend enough time in the office, they didn't make enough money, they never care about those external rewards, they care about the internal relationships they have with others. Another strategy from Epicureanism is to remove pain from your life, remove anxiety. So try to think about what causes anxiety in your own life, and then try to remove that. So it might be that there are toxic people in your life that you need to remove. You might have something in your career that is eating up a lot of time and not giving you fulfillment, or maybe your career path, you're really good at this one task, but you actually hate doing that task. So you might actually be better off quitting your job and doing what you actually love to do day to day. These are all strategies for Epicureanism. And really it all comes down to what provides you with the greatest happiness and fulfillment? So you can really use your own mental state and how peaceful you are, how tranquil you are, as sort of like a navigation system for where you need to go in life. And I'll, I'll say one quote to bring this point home, which is that, of all the means to ensure happiness throughout the whole life, by far the most important is the acquisition of friends. Now let's look at some Stoic strategies for how to live a good life day to day. One of my favorite strategies is what's called prospective retrospective. And it's essentially looking at your current life through the lens of yourself as an old man or an old woman. So right now I'm here, I'm recording this podcast. I'm young, I'm healthy. Things are pretty good in my life, even if there are some challenges I have. And so when I think about myself right now as an old man, perhaps on his deathbed, I would think so fondly about the place where I am in life right now. And I would want to cherish every moment I have with my youthful body, my sharp mind. Everything's going pretty well right now. And even if things aren't going well, when you look at your life from the perspective of an old man on his deathbed or an old woman on his deathbed, you can really enjoy life to a far greater extent than we typically do. Because typically we get caught in what's called the hedonic treadmill, which means you always acclimate to whatever your current state is, and then you want something more. So if you make a higher salary next year, you live in a bigger house, you have a better car, whatever it is, you're just going to want more proportional to whatever your steady state is. So one of the ways to escape that hedonic treadmill is to use this technique of prospective retrospective and a similar technique that's also super 
valuable is what's called the last time meditation. So imagine whatever it is you're doing, let's say you're tucking your daughter into bed at night, you're going surfing with a friend, you're mowing your lawn, it doesn't even have to be something you particularly love to do, but imagine it's the last time you're ever going to get to do that. And you will probably cherish those moments far greater extent. So if I think like, you know, if I'm going off to work and I kiss my wife, like if you think this might be the last time I kiss her and you never know, right? You could get hit by a car or you never know when, when life is going to end. So having that always in the back of your mind of, hey, this could be the last time. Uh, that's a good way to really focus on what's important and have perspective. Another similar strategy is the search for silver linings. And this is really relevant for Hence the Future because it's all about considering the worst case scenario combined to the actual scenario that you're in. So even if something terrible happens, like let's say you get hit by a car while you're crossing the street and your leg totally breaks and you're not going to be able to walk for six months. That seems like a horrible thing. You might normally get really depressed and, oh man, I can't even walk. I'm totally, uh, you know, in a terrible state. But if you think about what could have happened, uh, like the fact that you might have become paralyzed and never walk again, then that will help you put things into perspective. There's this one book which talks about this man who had locked-in syndrome where he literally was only able to move his eyes and blink his eyes and he couldn't do anything else. He was completely immobilized from the neck down. And he wrote this book explaining his own life experience. And it's super powerful because when you compare yourself, whatever you might be experiencing, if you lost your job, you just broke up with uh, your boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it might possibly be, you are in a much better state than that guy. And also when you just think about all of the people on planet Earth, I guarantee you almost everyone listening to this podcast is in the top half of people on planet Earth. You know, some people get by on a dollar a day. Uh, some people live in areas that are war-torn, that have regular violence and famine and disease and no antibiotics. So we are all so tremendously lucky to be living in the way we're living now. And by taking this, what's called view from above in Stoicism, we can really have greater perspective. So here's the quote that really resonates with me from Marcus Aurelius, where he says, think of substance in its entirety, of which you have the smallest of shares, and of time in its entirety, of which a brief and momentary span has been assigned to you, and of the work of destiny, and how very small is your part in them. So by taking this grand view of all time, all space, and just looking at your small role within that, you're going to want to perform that role to the best of your ability. Now let's get into the future scenarios. Let's talk about the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. The worst case scenario in my mind is that we follow neither the path of Stoicism nor the path of Epicureanism. That means we don't enjoy our own lives and our actions aren't furthering human flourishing. So you can think of the folly of both of these sides. In an Epicurean sense, you might 
only focus on your own pleasures, even at the expense of others. You might take advantage of others. You might think of yourself as being more important than others, and it's all about your pleasure. This isn't the normal teaching of Epicureanism, but you can see how people might fall into that trap. Similarly, with Stoicism, you might do everything that you need to do to fulfill your role in society, but you never actually enjoy your life. You know, this is the typical dad that works all day, that provides a great life for his family, but is totally miserable in his existence, doesn't like his job, doesn't like how he spends each day, silently curses his own fate and kind of wishes he had done something else. And you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be someone that's just going through the motions as a means to an end. You want to actually enjoy the present moment as well. So we are in a really challenging time right now. There's tremendous political divide in America. And unless we start to see ourselves as all part of one whole, where we care about our own happiness, we also care about the happiness of others, and really incorporating both philosophies, then we may start to devour ourselves like the Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail. And that's a really destructive path. So I think what's great about both of these philosophies is they give you a sense of perspective and a sense of the whole. And so the worst case scenario is that we follow neither philosophy. Now let's talk about the best case scenario. Best case scenario. The best case scenario is that we take the middle way. That means we take the best of both teachings of Epicureanism and Stoicism. So we enjoy life and we further human flourishing. And this is the view that I've taken recently. I used to be more of an Epicurean where I really just wanted to live a good life for myself. I wanted to go on lots of great surf trips. I wanted to enjoy the present, travel the world, do everything that was fulfilling to me and that made me happy. But as I've gotten older, I've realized the importance in fulfilling a role and a function in society. That's why I really do my best for my clients. I try to grow companies. I try to put them in the right direction so that they can solve whatever problem they're trying to solve in the marketplace. And now I really value both sides. So I'm going on a surf trip to San Luis Obispo this week. So I'm really doing something that is purely for my own happiness and enjoyment of life. But I'm also going to work really hard for my clients this week as well. So I think it is important to have both and to take the middle middle way. And you don't want to sacrifice your own quality of life. At the same time, you don't want to only focus on happiness and not serve society in any beneficial way. So you can do both and you can take the middle way. Now let's talk about the most likely scenario. Most likely scenario. My most likely scenario is that we are emerging and we are always becoming a better version of ourselves, but we are about to go through a really difficult transitionary period. I think especially the next five to 10 years is going to be pretty tumultuous. And we're going to have to grapple with a lot of major changes, technological changes, societal, economic, financial, climate related. And when times are tough, people do tend to get nasty. They tend to let their emotions take over. They let anger and anxiety take over. And that's why it's really crucial when we're in these dark times and we have these major challenges. It's crucial that we 
return to these moral philosophies and these frameworks that can help us make any decision to become a better decision. And I just want to finish off with something that's important to keep in mind, which is that we control the inputs of our own lives. We don't control the outputs. So one way to think about this is imagine you're a Greek or Roman soldier, hoplite soldier, and you're going into battle and you have a spear and you're throwing your spear, you want to aim with as much focus as you possibly can and give it all of your strength and do everything you can possibly do. But as soon as that spear leaves your hand, it's in up to the gods. You can't do anything. There could be a gust of wind, you know, someone could block it with a shield. There's no telling what'll happen once it's left your hand. So there's no reason to get all worked up about what happens once the spear leaves your hand. So in the same sense, it's important to focus on systems for how to live your life. What can you do each day to be better rather than what the outcomes are, like what actually happens to you? Because we control only the inputs, we do not control the outputs. And I love both of these frameworks because they just remind you of that. And so it makes life both easier to grapple with and also more fulfilling. And I'll end with another quote from Marcus Aurelius that I love, which is, you have power over your mind not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.